Sometimes it's not a choice, it's cause you're made that way Some get happy endings and some get to lose But everybody wants to be clock and boots Hello and welcome to Carnival Personnel Sideshow uh, If you are a first time listener, uh, I'd stop now and go find something more productive to do And if you're not a first time listener uh, well, then apologies right off the, the, the front because it's just me hosting this because uh, sadly, you know, both Biff and Joe have grown up stuff, things to do. Biff is working his fingers to the bone as usual on an insane project where the client is four time zones away in one direction and the tech support is 14 hours in the other direction and anyways and then joe sadly with joe uh he is doing the arborous task i don't know arduous arduous task of packing up the lucium um anybody who listened to the first couple hundred episodes of this podcast know we recorded at joe's basement known as the lucium um where it is we've had so many guests in his basement and each and every one was more amazed than the next with the absolute awesome uh you know like 20 plus working systems dated back to the late 70s the absolute library of 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 media for all these game systems uh we haven't done it in quite some time but one of my favorite parts all time of the podcast was we used to do this thing called like you know video game review where i blindly would reach behind me without joe looking pull a game off a shelf and joe had to buy the space on the uh, i think it was like eight bookshelves six bookshelves the space that was now left, he had to guess which game it was and do a review of it. And the accuracy rate that he had with guessing which game it was and which platform in his review was was stellar. But he is having to pack that up because I think it's the first move he's done in 15 years, 16 years, something like that. And so, so anyway, so apologies for that. But to make up for all of that, to make up for all of that, we have on a guest that I've wanted to come on for a very long time. This guy is beyond near and dear and special to me. Um, somebody that both my wife and I love dearly. Uh, we've known him through some of the most amazing times in our personal life, some of the most amazing times in my career, and some of the you know hardest moments in, in our life. And you know we we work through all the ups and downs together. Uh, and so you know he he's he's gone. You know he 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 moved to Iowa around the time that we moved to Qatar, <laughs> but we still remain close. Uh, he, he, he has been more than a friend and more than a brother and more than a mentor. And I'm finally glad that we are having him on to talk about his musical career, uh, and his musical, uh, his career, his absolutely amazing career in the music industry and many of the, um, friends that I've, I, I now count as, you know, very close that, that stemmed from his tree of friendship. Uh, and with that said, I would like to welcome to the listener ears of Carnival Personnel Podcast Sideshow, the one, the only, Mike Ragonia. Hello, well, Mike. 
<laughs> Hello, Jacques. Oh my what? God. Mike, what's your what's your middle name? What is your middle name? It's George. It is George. Okay, I didn't know if 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 it was, uh, and what I thought it might have been derivative of your father's name. Can you tell us what your father's name was? His name was Athelio, <laughs> which is just great. I mean, you can't get you can't get more WAP without with it than Attilio Rigonia. Yeah, I could have been Attilio Junior. I'm. <laughs> He was named after Attila the Hun. Oh, yeah, well, you know, and, and and way way back in episode four, uh, Joe and I's ep and, I, and we always refer to it. I, I can't remember last week's episode, but episode four is titled "Daddy Issues," and well, your dad was named after Attila the Hun, and I know much of his parenting style up until the very end. I think it's kind of I think it's kind of an appropriate name that he had. <laughs> well, Dad. <laughs> so. Uh, so let's, let's start at the beginning. I'm gonna, you know, go way back to the beginning. I had a friend, I was in the right place at the right time for a lot of things in my life. Um, a, a, a guest on this podcast and just an amazing person, uh, Ronick Cordestani years ago said, I am the most Forrest Gump-like person she's ever met. I, by... No skill, no no hard work, no effort, no abilities uh, have been in the right place at the right time for many events in my life that just opened doors I didn't know existed. And I, I had a hockey incident in which I was blind in an eye. Um, I was attacked viciously by somebody. Um, you know, I, I've always said I was going to post the picture. It's pretty bad. I, I, you know, somebody shot a puck in my eye and hit me in the face with a stick because I quit their hockey team and played against them, and they didn't like that. And a couple months later, uh, I got my eyesight back, and I truly, truly beat this person within an inch of their life on the ice. You know, actually on the roller rink. So it was it was roller hockey. <laughs> Flash forward a couple years later, um, I. I don't know how, but I'm sitting and working in this sweatshop with my former partner, this guy named Dave, and right place, right time, DVDs just started. And a guy from MCA Records comes to us and says, we want to do these three DVDs. No one knew what DVDs were. This was, this was truly, truly, truly the infancy, pre-infancy. This is the conception, you know what I mean? This is, this is, you know, four months into the pregnancy. I don't think the DVD baby's been popped yet. And it's so funny, nobody knew about DVDs um, or how they worked, like legally, um, you know, the mechanics of them. And we got commissioned to do three DVDs. Uh, one was a one for, um, one was for U2, which, I still to the day have a hard on that I got to do, or I was going to get to do a DVD for you too. The problem was they collected all these videos. There was 21 videos all from their early career. And the licensing on each video was a clusterfuck, a clusterfuck and a half because some of their early videos were small Irish production companies that said, we need to make a name for ourselves. We'll shoot your video for free. Well, it turns out they own, the video they don't own the license so the record you know island def jam owned the song but a now defunct been defunct for 30 years video company owns the images that were licensed to mtv but all this stuff um 
you know, one of the other three that we did was, I believe it was for Tom Petty. And I remember Dave getting the call and putting on speakerphone and we're listening. It turns out we did the DVD. They sent it to Tom Petty. Tom Petty loved it. And then Tom Petty reminded the label, you know, I own my videos, right? <laughs> Which the record company did not know that he was smart enough to pay for the production of his own videos and owned it. Then And now at this point, I mean, when you talk rock in a hard place, they had already poured in the all the circulars that went out in the Sunday paper for all the brick and mortars that were going to be carrying this DVD. It yeah. was already shipped. It was on the way to the stores. It was going to be on the shelves for Black Friday in a time when brick and mortar was everything. And they had to renegotiate with him each and every video to be able to make it legal. Anyways, a year or so later, I get a phone call. I don't know this person. I got a kid, a kid. I'm 30. And I think this kid named Jeff, probably the next time he would have shaved was going to be the first. <laughs> and we go out for this little restaurant and we're talking and he goes, wait a minute, you're Jacques Jacques. I'm like, yeah, we're, we're a half hour into a lunch. And he goes, you're the roller hockey player, Jacques. I'm like, oh yeah. He goes, yeah. He, he started playing in the league the year after I stopped. And, and he goes, you're the one who got the puck in the eye is blind. And I'm like, yes. And then he looks and my, uh, my eye doesn't dilate. And he's like, oh, my God. And he starts telling me, you know, the legend. We, I, uh, we won four straight championships. I, I was on a celebrity team. Um, I'm not bragging about this because I'm two years, three years removed from playing real, real, real hockey. <laughs> like real hockey. Um you know, uh, you know, on, on a very on a, a high-ish level, now playing roller hockey in Reseda, California, on a Tuesday night, and with with a bunch of celebrities. But like the legend of my, me being blind in an eye and still playing a couple weeks later, me beating the kid nearly to death, and so we form this fast friendship. And he tells me, and I, I will never forget. He goes, "I just got the job as the DVD guy at Universal." I can't spell DVD, he jokingly <laughs> says. Um, about a week later, he brokers, uh, puts together a meeting, and I think I'm going to go meet his boss. He walked me into a conference room with 11 people around a table. Ugh. And it's the heads of all the different labels. This is at the height of Napster killing the music industry. And the music industry came up with the idea that they were going to, each executive was going to lock arms, go down to the ocean and try to hold the waves back. That, that was their first plan Good analogy for attacking Napster. And then the second wave was, or the second phase was, why don't we come up with DVDs? Because at the time they thought, oh, those can't be hacked. And they gave... They, they signed it over. They gave me the, king to the, the, the keys to the kingdom. Uh, at that meeting, I met a woman who I would go on to absolutely love and adore named, named Karen Sherlock, who became, uh, you know, a, a friend like no other, a mentor like no other. Uh, one of the record industry, and I'm going to turn this over to Mike in a few minutes, I promise. But there's an old saying about how awful a record industry is. There's this long list of all these bad things. And then at the end of it, it's like, but there's also a downside. It is a, it is a <laughs> nest of vipers. And, and you, you know, it's awful. Everything about 
all the horrible stories you heard about the record industry is true. Now and then, now and then, you come across a Mike Ragonia. You, wow. you, you come across a Karen Sherlock. You come across, you know, other people that, you know, we might mention by name as we go along. But, but uh, so Karen, you know, was, was great. I met her at that meeting. Uh, I have to go back to my office and I'm a rock star because I walk in with this huge deal. I'm given the entire vault. I'm giving the entire vault to Universal. And now Dave, who was the tech side of the thing, was like, oh, my God, this is great. What the fuck are we going to do? We can't, you know? And now he has to figure this out. And then it was a year before the first PO came through. And I kept having to go to meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting um, and explain how DVDs work and, and do test DVDs. I would do a test DVD for Interscope Records, but the people over at MCA be like, well, how would that work for us? It, well, it would work exactly the same, but with your artist on the DVD. Oh, and we would have to do a test DVD with one of their art. It was, it cost us thousands and thousands of dollars. It wow. cost me 50, 75 taking people to King Games and going out to lunches. I'm sorry, it, it, it cost John Taylor King Games, me using his tickets to take people out to lunches and dinners and mics. And, and here's a publicly traded company at the time, Point360, saying, we're not seeing anything, we're not seeing anything. And I'm like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And then Jeff did. Jeff just started giving us so much work and, and more work than we physically could do. And at one point, Jeff's like, you need another system because he would come in with two projects, one to clone to send to another vendor to do it and one for us to do. And I kept going back to the big week saying, hey, here's this guy who is just giving us all this work. And, and it was great. And, and they couldn't make the capital investment. And we, you know, my, my team, Dave and I took a team and we went someplace else and they kind of had some problems keeping their books straight. We'll just politely say, uh, and then it, it came down to, okay, Dave and I have the client and we have a team that's just, just great. We had, an amazing graphic artist. We had a second to none author, you know, you know, you know, Dave was a MacGyver who could, you know, take a bent paper clip, you know, a rubber band and a toaster and somehow make an avid edit system out of it. Uh, you know, we just needed the capital and, you know, I, you know, through different means was able to secure it and we started our own company. And that is when my good friend, Jeff walked, this guy into my office named Mike, who it, it, it's one of those things where, you know, a stranger, you can know, you, you can know an acquaintance for 40 years, but you know, your real friends in the first five minutes, you meet them. Um, Mike is cut from the same loser cloth that, you know, that, that, that like that Joe and I are from like the things that he collects, the things that he knows that no person should know this, you know? Um, but, but he, he ends up being able to share those obscure facts about music or comic books with the one person on the industry who is as big a loser, whose office looks like a fucking toy store. And, and, and thus began the, you know, the almost close to 20 year friendship I've had with Mike. Um, apologize for the long winded thing. Mike, hi. Hi. <laughs> so, so how you been? What, what, what are your first recollection walking in? And do you even know one of the first projects that we might've done? I think, um, 
<laughs> first of all, I have the same, I got to say the same about you. You were, you were like, yeah, you know, those people, they're like instant friends. You kind of know that they're, they're just something. And it wasn't, it wasn't from description or any, or anything, you know, it's like, oh, I'm into this. I'm into that. It's just, you just on a, on a gut level, you know, when somebody's your friend. And I knew that instantly with you too. Um, so thank you for 20, over 20, it's over 20, by the way. We knew each other since I think 2000 or 2001. Wow. Okay. So it's like 20, uh, so 22 years, whatever. But yeah, uh, we've, we've shared a lot of stuff. You've had a family. I've tried to have a family. Um, <laughs> I did have a family, but it's, uh, we've, you've been great. And I really appreciate your friendship over the years. We've had a lot of adventures together too. It's really pretty wild. Um, but anyway, as far as that first meeting, I, I have to confess, I don't, you know, I'm an old man in my memory. Yeah, no, I, I think now that I'm thinking about it, I think you walked into point 360 before we started the place. You were correct. Yeah. Even before we moved to the second place and the third place. Um, yeah. well, so it's funny. So my, you know, Mike's a few years older than me. Uh, we're completely different, but our, our lives intersect in some of the funniest, interesting ways. I'm a big comic book guy, Mike in his youth. And I don't know if it was one of your first paid gigs, Mike, I'm going to lean on you when I post this, uh, podcast to follow up on Twitter and maybe Instagram and post some of the things I'm going to ask you to post. You, ha you probably still have at your fingertips, fingertips, the album cover. And I mean, album, this is back. I think this predates maybe even eight tracks. You wrote a song for the Spider-Man theme, 1974, 75 album, 75 album. I don't know if I saw this at your home or at an office. It's a very iconic picture from the seventies. It might be the most quintessential photo or the quintessential like you know sell from a comic and the 70s era of spider-man where here's peter parker standing dressed as a kid looking into a mirror and seeing spider-man and he's holding the he's holding the spider-man suit in his hand but in his reflection he's in the spider-man outfit and in the 70s you know bands were putting out theme albums and comic books would put out these theme albums and i think you wrote the song like Peter stays and Spidey goes. Am I correct? Yeah, Peter stays and Spider-Man goes. Yep. Yep, yep. Would somebody call me Peter Parker before I go insane? You see this other guy that I've been lately forgot he had a name. I find super strength and fame ain't all that they're cracked up to be. Cause the only one that they don't help is me. John Romita, you yeah, you want me to go? John Romita, John Romita did the cover, uh, and it was really amazing because I was 
I was a DC fan. Like Jacques, I was a huge DC fan. So I very rarely crossed into Marvel territory. Uh, I probably just made a lot of enemies there, but sorry about that. But Marvel, Marvel, the, the, the things I did get into in Marvel were uh, Fantastic Four, Silver Surfer, kind of. It was a little a little rich, but uh, but also Spider-Man. Spider-Man I loved. Uh, and I, you know, I was working at the time, I was working at the, um, for Cashman and West, who wrote songs for the Partridge family, a uh, big television show in the 70s. And from the money, the royalties they made from their songs that were in the Partridge family, they used to produce Jim Croce. I don't know if any of your listeners might remember Jim Croce, but Jim Croce, Time in a Bottle, you don't mess around with Jim, Bad, Bad, Leroy Brown. So they used that money to do that. And they also eventually, well, they were producing other acts, Henry Gross, uh, and the money that they made from that, from the Partridge Family Royalties, which paid for the Jim Croce initial album, which, by the way, was rejected by every label I know. Everybody, everybody, everybody right. Absolutely everybody. The only reason why the Jim Croce album came out is because Cashman and West were also, uh, Terry Cashman and Tommy West, they were also, um, they were also, uh, they were also an artist. Uh, a, 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 they were also artists, Cashman and West on uh, ABC Dunhill. So the only reason why Jim has a deal is because they went to uh, Jay Lasker, who was running the company and said, hey, would you please put this record out? We can't get this placed anywhere. And, and they treated it like, yeah, we'll do you a favor because we really believe in you. We really love you. And then it turned out, you know. It, it's it, it's a top 10 selling album of the 70s. Yeah, you know, yeah. and sadly, it gets released and he dies within a year. And I think I want to well, say, there were, and there were three albums. And the, three albums. Was, okay, before the third one, before the third one came out, and right after Bad Bad Leroy Brown was okay. Yeah, that's when that happened. He recorded "I Got a Name" for um. Oh God, what, what was the movie? It was a movie. Uh, Great American, something. Right. Uh, uh, it was about uh, uh, stock car racing. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's what's other one. So let me cut to the chase. I'm sorry, that was a very tangential, long-winded way to get to the label life song. So I had worked after school at uh, uh, Cashman West's office, and um, um, I, you know, I was the office kid. I, I did everything from mailroom stuff to recording artists when they came in to submit uh, songs for uh, people like Mary Travers from Peter Paul and Mary when they were producing her. Um, when artists would come in and submit, you know, they wanted to be produced by Cashman West, like Livingston Taylor, uh, Aztec Two Step. I don't know if anybody knows of any of these people, but um, but anyway, there were a bunch of acts which came into the office for that. They produced a guy named Adam Miller, who was another Partridge Family artist, and they took the royalties from those records that they had. Some were hits, some were not. Henry Gross was the biggest hit, and then they and they ended up uh, starting Life Song Records. Me being the kid in the office when they got the deal for when they got the deal to do an album themed on spider-man um they said uh, and because i was a songwriter and they were developing me as a songwriter and a recording artist that i mean you know like a kid artist but they didn't really want me to be out there with records because they cashman and west both grew up on frankie lyman and you know they were just thinking oh kids you know they kill themselves if they have any kind of fame or anything like that and that that was that's what he told me. That legitimately was why they didn't do anything with me at a young age, but they kept developing me. So, but but here was an opportunity where behind the scenes I got to have a song um, or two, or possibly even record on the album. But that never happened. But I did uh, write this song, "Peter Stays and Spider Man Goes," based on um, 
the the key line in there is like it is it's the key line is it's like fighting both sides of a mirror, which is what the the concept of the album cover is. Right. And the cover and and also you know that was my life. That's like a teenager growing up. It's like fighting both sides of a mirror. You can't win. So, no, I mean I mean you know that that's the, the great thing about spider-man that we've heard stan lee say a billion times is spider-man could be anybody and and it, anybody could relate to it and the fact that he was a kid is something that stan lee always loved because all superheroes were older you know I, I think the median age of a superhero at the time like you know batman is always like per perpetually like 29 years old and stuff like that you know um uh you know, you know, that kind of stuff. So so the fact that you're a kid writing from a kid perspective, you know, it's fantastic. But that was like the first thing where it's like, OK, here's this guy who just is so into the weeds on this stuff. And and the fact that I know of that album, like, you know, I mean, I as a as a kid growing up, just, you know, in, in superhero worship world. I mean, the only things that matter to me my entire I was going to say my entire childhood. But if you look around my office, it, my entire childhood is still you know, superhero, Star Trek, Star Wars. Like, now there's some Tet Lasso paraphernalia, but it's mostly, you know, <laughs> superheroes and hockey stuff. Uh, so Mike is not what you would call an athlete. But once again, once again, uh, I, I come to find out, and I don't think I found out till years later, I want to say Mike's next big thing in my book, and he had other successes in between uh, uh, Peter's days and Spidey goes, is I want to say that Mike wrote the jingle or the theme song for the 1980 New Jersey Devils. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, was, was it 1980? It was uh, 19, uh, 1984. 1984, we recorded it at Jimmy Ryan's house, Jimmy Jimmy Ryan's recording studio. Jimmy Ryan is the guy who does the guitar lead and You're So Vain. Carly Simon, he was her guitar player for years and years, and that's where he mainly got his, his fame from. He was also part of a group called The Critters. I'm getting tangential again. Uh, but the but yeah, um, New, New Jersey Devils. It's like a ripoff of the Michael Jackson. Uh, <laughs> was it a commercial or was it an in-house like... It was, the I think that I don't know how they used it honestly. I know they didn't use it as a commercial. Well, you end up you end up you ended up at one point years ago finding it. Yeah. And you, you got me a copy. And I ended up get, did, you did a new am I am I am I am I back on, on the math? Uh did you <laughs> did you did you did you end up doing an anthem for the New Jersey Devils? It was no no no. I but I did do I did we pitched that spot. And they used it for something, but I no, don't no, know. No, no, no. I mean, did I have you sing a national anthem for the Devils at one oh, point? Oh, God, yeah. Well, that's where you're going. Yeah, I did. You did. You had Okay, well, no, I think I used, yeah. you sent me that recording. And usually I get celebrities to do it, but I was able to circle back to the New Jersey Devils and say, hey, this guy was, was there at the birth of the Devils. This guy is Mr. Devil. And I sent them. Somehow you had that that link to that song whether they used it in house or the commercial but you had you know and the and the person who ended up you know i, I ended up booking it through boss has been with the devil since like day one nice they remembered it and they're like yeah we're gonna get this guy in here to do an anthem that's sweet oh that's great uh, that so so you know uh so a lot of the listeners are are my beloved f and h guys um and they will all know this 
I believe it was 83 or 84 that Wayne Gretzky, um, it's one of the few times he, he was on the negative side of a PR thing. Uh, he had said, he had referred to the New Jersey Devils as a Mickey Mouse organization, which, which did not sit well with the fan base of New Jersey. He was right. I, I, I mean, they, they were the epitome the term dumpster fire that is so widely used now, I believe originated, you know, in referring to the early 80s New Jersey Devils. And what's really funny, what's really, really funny is one of the teams that I played on, uh, you know, I'm going to say 88, 89, 86, somewhere in there. I, I played for a team called the uh, Northeast Junior Devils. Uh, Technically, the rink is on the border of National New Hampshire and Kingborough, Mass. Um, but we were a national. We were listed as a Nashua team. It, you know, it was a junior B team out of Nashua. Technically, the rinks. You know, it's like one of those things. Like the New York Giants play in the Meadowlands in New Jersey. Uh, but we got the hand-me-down hand-me-downs from the New Jersey Devils minor league team. So, like, <laughs> you know, so all the you know elbow pad, shoulder pad, like everything that. Guinness, you know, wouldn't pass mustard for their AHL team, you know, came down the pike to us. You know, so our practice jerseys were their practice jerseys from the season before and, and all that stuff. So another weird connection that it's like, here you are. But I was, I was able to use that. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the, some of the other things that we've done Thank together. You. Um, Thank I, you for that. So, so I also had Mike do an anthem. Uh, you know, and, and, and I'm going to touch on how I got to do all the anthems with the celebrities. Once again, direct, collect, direct correlation with Mike. But I felt bad. This story, oh, my God. It, it, it's awful. I get Mike doing the anthem for the Phoenix Coyotes. Yeah. And, and they're going to play, I think, I think it's like a Saturday afternoon 1 p.m. game. So the plan is... Mike's going to come and pick me up and we're going to drive to Phoenix, which is about an eight hour drive. Uh, I do it once a year with Biff for the last decade. Um, but Mike and I are going to drive. Mike had the absolute misfortune of coming to my house to pick me up about a half hour after the New England Patriots lost an infuriating game to the Indianapolis Colts. Now, Biff and Joe, my, my beloved, my beloved brothers who I do this podcast with, both of them have been at ground zero when I've gone through Patriot losses. Um, anybody who knows the Patriots well will know the game I'm referring to, the Patriots are up. The Patriots are up by three points or four points. They're up by three or four points. And it's fourth and one from their own, like, 30-yard line. And and 95% of the time, you're going to punt the ball. But their defense was so bad, and Peyton Manning was so good. The Belichick knows if we get this fourth down, if we pick up this fourth and one, the game's over. We can take a knee and run out the clock. If we get this, if we can get one yard on this fourth down play, but if by any means we have to give the ball back to Peyton Manning, He's going to march down the field. I mean, Peyton was hot. You know, as much as I say how much I hate Peyton Manning, and I don't. I mean, the guy's great on the field and off. Uh, 
But but Bill Belichick made that decision to go for it on fourth and one. They don't get the first the first down. It's it's like you need it one yard. It's like the old Rodney Dangerfield commercial where they're bowling in the butt light commercial. We only need one pin, Rodney. And it goes right down the middle and hits a pin and bounces into the gutter. They need it one yard. To... So poor Mike has to drive eight hours with me not talking. Just absolutely. And here's Mike. Hey, you want to stop here to eat? And I'm, I'm, I'm Roy Kent at this point. I'm speaking in monotone grunts. And it's like, I, I'm, I'm pissed. I'm angry. I hate everything and everybody. And here's Mike in his small car, eight hours going through the desert with me. And I swear he's waiting for me to just swerve the car off into the desert and bury his body, you know, up to his neck. And yep. so, yep. <laughs> so, that, so that's bad. Then we get to the hotel and Mike's like, you know, you know, oh, we can share a room. And I'm like, no, Mike. <laughs> I snore really bad, and my, you know, and you know, it, it, you know, Mike doesn't have any roommates, and you know, has you know, and he doesn't know. And I'm like, no, Mike, I'm telling you, I snore really bad. He goes, it will be fine. I wake up in the morning, <laughs> and, and, and at, it, at one point in the morning, two, three a.m., Mike's like. After after spending eight hours with an absolute angry prick <laughs> in a small car, not talking to him, he then gets chased out of his own hotel room. <laughs> that was great. A am I exaggerating was... any of that? No, any of not that? At all. No, 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 no. The, the fun, yeah, no. I I think you were surprised. You woke up in the morning, and I was in another hotel room. I rented another room. Yeah, just in the middle of the night, Mike got up, didn't take any of his stuff, just went downstairs and I need a room. And I think they gave you could just come because you're only gonna be there a few hours. I think they have mercy on you. <laughs> um yeah, no, um so so Mike it's and then we did. Then Mike did the the coyote anthem and absolutely killed it. Absolutely Thanks. killed it. I think I had you do a baseball game too at one yeah, point. Yeah, with Bakersfield. Okay, yeah. like a minor league thing. Yeah. yeah. Um <laughs> They were. They, they warned me before I went on. You, you, they were a little afraid. They, you know, they said, uh, "You're you're going to be okay. You're not going to be making any announcements or making any stands or anything, are you?" And, and I'm like, "No, I'm here to sing the national anthem." <laughs> that was great. Now that was all of them. All of those opportunities. I think I did like what five, six, whatever it was, were great. I loved doing that. That was now, a lot of fun. Now, how did I get into that world, Mike? <laughs> You tell the story better, so much better than I do. So, uh, Jeff, our friend Jeff, our friend Mike, our, our dear friend Mike, probably a guy named Don Robinson, and 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 Karen Sherlock were probably our four biggest clients collectively. Universal Music Group was our was eighty percent of our music. Our, our yeah. Dave and I had started a company called Spitfire Media. And it was a gorgeous, gorgeous, yeah. gorgeous office on, on 4th, 4th Street in Santa Monica. But you guys were our, our bread and butter. So Mike comes in and he plays the friend card. And he sits in my office and he goes, so we have, uh, so Universal had, I think it's called an imprint label. Is that it? An imprint. Was it New, new Door? New Door. New Door yeah. Records. Yeah. <clears throat> so Inter uh, Universal Music Group started a new label for um, artists of note, 
who don't have a record deal at the time, but on their own recorded an album. So if somebody came in of note and said, hey, uh, you don't have to pay for this album. Here's my album um, and make and make a distribution deal. And Tears for, Tears for Fears was one of those artists. Um, and I think, you know, we did a lot of stuff for Tears for Fears. Somehow, somehow, I think Mike, between Mike and Jeff, I think we did three DVDs best of for Tears for Fears. I thought they had two songs, yeah. <laughs> but somehow we did three DVDs for Tears for Fears, which were on New Dorm. So Mike tells me, look, we got this album and uh, it's prob- we're probably going to drop it. it. It hasn't hit the sales number, we hope, but, but we're contractually obligated to shoot a music video uh, for Billy Ray Cyrus. Oh, actually, no. Uh, Spitfire is done. I left Spitfire at this point. I'm at a new company. I'd started a new company. That's when yeah. you came in, and you're like, and you know, it, it was it was like it was like the divorce where you know, uh, uh, you know, half the you know when, when you when you when you're a couple and you get divorced, and half the friends that you had coming into the marriage, or you came go with one side and half go with the other, and you know, uh, uh, so so Dave kept the kids and I kept Mike, you know, so, 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 so Jeff was, Jeff was still working with, with the Dave and the Spitfire guys who just did great work. And I was starting something new. Mike comes into my office and says, look, we have to do a music video. Like we have no money. We have $10,000, but we're contractually obligated to do a music video for this guy. Even though, unfortunately, I think Mike loved the album. You worked your ass off of the album it's called want to be your joe it was a it was a really good album um i don't think it got the backing from the the people it needed to get the backing from but you came to me and said will you do this music video and i'm like uh i haven't done a music video in like 15 years at that point but you knew i had background producing music videos you know some that made it to mtv so you know when i came out of film school i had a friend named greg who just did a movie who came from music video world he was a he was a ghost writer he wrote all the he wrote all the um britney spears uh for gregory dark when gregory dark went from porn to directing music videos he hired greg to write all these britney Spears videos so greg was always a bridesmaid never got a chance to direct the video so he said well i just did this movie uh it's a fun movie called greetings from the shore um that starred paul savino but he had like I don't know, like 15,000 feet of film left over, which that film was more than the budget that Interscope or Universal had for the whole picture. So between the film that he had and and the $10,000 from Inter, uh, from Universal, and then Greg threw in some money and I pulled a lot of favors, uh, we shot this music video for Billy Ray Cyrus. I haven't said the name yet, but Mike comes to me <laughs> knowing that I'm a grunge guy, knowing, <laughs> knowing that, 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 that Jeff had the audacity to bring Stuart Copeland into my office and introduce me as a drummer, <laughs> which, which oh I, oh, I quickly, I quickly, here's Stuart fucking Copeland in my office. We're doing a DVD and Jeff's like, 
yeah, Jack's a drummer too. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? No, like, like I'm the equivalent of one of those, you know, you know, five below dime store wind up monkeys that clap the cymbals, and you are talking to a fucking drumming god. Like, honestly, and I, I quickly, I quickly corrected Jeff. I'm like, dude, I count to four kind of fast in a grunge band. And oh my God, with Stuart Copeland, just the, oh, just the best, just the best. It was like, you know, so 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 Jeff brings Stuart Copeland in my world, and Mike brings fucking Billy Ray Cyrus. What can I say? So, <laughs> so I, I start I start putting the wheels together. Greg writes a treatment, and we're going to do this shoot. It's going to be a two day shoot with Billy Ray. I get a corner bar, and actually, this kid Todd, who I was working with at the time, great guy. Great guy. I, I I had two partners, Paul and Todd, just the best guys. Todd lived right next to this corner bar. He was kind of a regular there, you know, like three doors down from him. Uh, and and so we ended up shooting like on some Tuesday afternoon, something like that. Yeah. Here's where it became really fun. Here's where it became really fun. Um you know, it, it, it's, it's, you know, we, we put out a, a call on like Craigslist. We got a bunch of actors. Uh, we made, we made it into a country bar. Um, and the backing band was all Mike's friends at, at Universal. Yeah. Dax was the drummer. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the other guys? Cause I remember he was a drummer. Somebody was the guitar player bassist. but it was all your buddies from the office who were real musicians. They're real musicians. Oh, Bob, uh, yeah, Bob, uh, Bob, um, Robert McRae. Robert, yeah, Robert McRae. One of them. Great guy. I actually, I, you know, he reached out to me a couple of years ago. He, he's, he's moved back home to like North Carolina. He was on a project and he reached out and we, we played catch up. Really great guy, but such a fun shoot. And then Mike was kind of the king of the extras. You, 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 you no, know, you, you, know, you helped you helped be the the extra wrangler. You were featured in the video. So what ends up happening is, sadly, the video comes out, and it is it is absolutely it's a great video. It, but it's it's a country music video you've seen ten thousand times. The song "I Want to Be Your Joe" is a love song from a husband to a wife, and Greg came up with this great storyline. Um. It was fun. It was absolutely great. It was absolutely a great shoot. What ends up happening over the next couple of weeks is uh, the album gets dropped by by Universal Drops Billy. So now he has this video. Nobody to push it. Nobody promote it. Um, and and that's it. And uh, at the time. Him and one of his daughters, and Miley had the same management company, and there were some disagreements where, you know, it must have been an awkward time because the management company is going to keep managing Miley, who's a minor, who needs right. Billy to sign off on them to continue managing her, but drop him as a client. Right. right. <clears throat> so here's Billy getting ready to do a summer tour with no manager and no client, uh, no manager, no label, and this new video. Also, at the time, Billy tells me flat out, the guy who was head of programming at CMT does not like him. I did not know this at the time. Uh, um, God. When, when Achy Breaky went number one, it went number one on every chart around the world except 
except country in the United States. It went number one everywhere except country in the United States because the guy who was head of programming at the time uh, for like Clear Channel, whatever the big conglomerate was, did not think pop and country should ever intermix. That was a big fucking no-no. And this guy did not like Billy Ray Cyrus. The whole world loved that song. He did a stadium tour. It went number one in every fucking chart except country. Now, and I'm not saying, I'm not being a smart mouth when I say this. Aki Breaky, you know, it, it's on all the lists for the worst songs and for this or that. That song made, made country pop. It, 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 yeah. it was the first time that it merged pop and country like that. And so all the pop country artists who came after that, he literally laid on the bob wire for you to walk over, you know, to do <laughs> yeah, it. That's a good way to put it. Jack, I went through the similar thing when I had the, when I was part of a male duo, uh, country duo called. The Almost, Almost Brothers. Brothers. Almost Brothers. Um, uh, we had. It was all set up. I mean, there were, there were stations that really loved our singles and our album sold 10,000 copies, regardless of having not having like huge hits. We had local regional hits. But the point is that it was right at that time when Big Hats had come back because there was a lot of Nash Vegas. There was a lot of, you know, Dolly Parton and yeah. Kenny Rogers and all of that and Dan Seals. So country had been already, you know, uh, uh, transitioning, trying to transition to pop. But every time it tries to transition to pop, here come the big hats. Right. So that was that period. I know exactly. Right. <coughs> but Billy Ray, to, to your other point, though, you are exactly right. Achy Breaky Heart, my feeling is that Achy Breaky Heart opened up country to people who would listen to who liked pop and yep. people who were looking for that other thing other than other than listening to the latest pop stuff because what were the radio what was on the radio uh, still it was like the tail end of flannel a lot of rap um and boy bands and it's like you know something like achy breaky heart which happened earlier of course but right. my point is that is that he opened up country music to a lot of people that would he did not have listened to it. and so and so but flash forward you know, umpteen years later, that guy is now head of CMT. And it doesn't matter if Billy Ray had walked in with, with Smells Like Teen Spirit in 1991. This guy wasn't going to play it. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know Billy that well. I spent a few days with him. Absolutely a great guy. Absolutely yeah. was great. It was, you know, and here, I'm a grunge guy. I'm a grunge guy. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, I, I think one of the other great, great projects that I did for Jeff, uh, we did a Sonic Youth Box set. And in the menu section, like we filmed me walking around the tape vault of this place that we work. Like, so the fact that I'm in a Sonic Youth, that's my thing. I'm Sonic Youth. You know what I mean? I, 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 I'm, I'm Sonic Youth. I'm the Sex Pistols. I'm everything but Billy Ray Cyrus. But now here I am. Yeah, but Jacques, you have another story about another video with Billy Ray, don't you? Well, we're going to get there. <laughs> and, and so, so because Mike, you know, and Mike, you know, Mike and I are working with Billy Ray. He's dropped by the label, but Mike behind the scenes is fucking making phone calls. He's working the album. He's helping, you know, he's kind of filling in some of the, you know, management duties that, you know, that, that Billy needed at the time and, and making this album. At the same time, my buddy Greg invested personally money out of pocket, donated the film comes up with this great video 
if it doesn't see the light of day, it doesn't help his career. I don't know what the fuck great American country is. But somebody tells me, it's like, oh, send it to great American country. And it might have been you, somebody inside. It, uh, tur- it turns out great American country is a fuse to MTV. Right. It, 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 it's the little brother. It's the redheaded stepchild. Whatever analogy we want to throw in there. Well, I don't look. I, again, again, me being me being uh, me being um, Forrest Gump. I'm not a smart man, uh, but but I'm. Um, yes, you are. But I'm trying to think. It, it, it's like the way I describe Billy Ray. Sometimes he's dumb as a fox. Yeah. Oh, he's good. He and wants you to think. He there's nothing Billy Ray does better. Yeah. To make you think he's a fucking dumb hick. That guy is fucking sharp, man. He he's is. Sharp. He is. But he plays, you know, he, he, ah, uh, shucks. Oh, you know, oh, yeah. He plays yeah. the ah, uh, shucks, hillbilly thing just enough. So you think you're going to underestimate this motherfucker. And then, man, he comes out of nowhere with like, 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 like the Mike Tyson haymaker. So. I, I kind of do that. I call Great American Country, and I say, "Look, I, I, I'm a producer. <clears throat> I just did this amazing video for Universal Music Group. Um, I know that it's going to be huge, but what if I give Great American Country a 30-day exclusive before we give it to CMT?" Well, they have no idea that CMT is going to play no matter what. I can literally walk in there with the biggest breasted porn star, a bag of cocaine, and a Scrooge McDuck pile of money and say, hey, you think we can get a couple spins here? Like, And let's be honest, that's how music worked through the 70s and 80s. We, we know it. But, but, but it wasn't going to matter. CMT wasn't going to play it. But I go to Great American Country, and I say, hey – how about this? You know, and um, and they do. Not only do they lose their shit. Oh my god, we're getting a Billy Ray exclusive. It goes to number three almost instantly. Yeah. Uh, it was Rascal Flat's song from Cars, and yeah, I think Carrie Underwood, like Jesus is my co-pilot, or Jesus take the wheel. Those yeah. were one and two. Billy yeah. number three for over ten weeks. On Great American Country. Great American Country, you know, but to promote it, Great American Country calls me back and says, Will Billy want to do an hour countdown to the video, to the premiere of the video? And I'm like, Yes, of course, let's do it. Then I call Bill and I say, Hey, guess what you're going to do? And Billy's like, Well, what am I going to play? I'm like, Dude, it's an hour. You can play every video of yours leading up to this. They don't give a fuck. They're giving you an hour of your time. Yeah. So I did that not for Billy. I did that for Greg, but it directly benefits Billy. You're yeah. helping from the inter- You're helping from the universal side. Move pieces around. Get them swag. Get them copies of this. You're still kind of playing the. Well, you're the A and R guy in the album. So even though it's not under your Interscope day job thing, your name is still the producer, A and R guy. You're still you're still pushing the rock up the hill. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's nice. I, mean, I didn't get the producer credit, although there was a there's a track on there called "Kicking the Gas." Yes, but bonus track. I did co-produce that with with Billy in the studio with the Universal Mastering. Studio. Oh, we recorded it there. Yeah. So, so 
now, now, now I'm knee deep into Billy. So, <laughs> so Billy is now out on tour. He has this video going for him that's number three on Great American Country. He has this hour thing. And Billy calls me and he says, look, and it was a late night call. The phone rings. And I don't know where he was, but I look down and it's like one in the morning-ish. And I look at, you know, management, you know, my wife, and I'm like, why is Billy calling? And he's like, he's like, dude, the label isn't behind me. Management isn't behind me. The one thing I've had going for me the last few months is this video and your work. Yeah. Will you manage me? And I'm like, dude, I, I don't, this is Jacques you're calling. You know what I mean? It's like, did you miss style? Did, 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 <laughs> did you call the wrong number? So I said, yeah. What, you know, because remember, remember, he's smart. He made a good he decision. Is, he is smart. So he ends up saying to me, and so I'm like, okay, let, let's talk in the morning. I think about it and I'm like, you know, Billy, the album, the, the, the label, Mike, Mike agrees with me, but the rest of Universal did you wrong. You have a song on your album called I Want My Mullet Back. <laughs> yep. Now, I want to be your Joe, and I'm honest. I'm like, it's a great song. It's fucking boring. It's a, it's a great song, but we've heard it. We've heard this song a thousand times from a thousand artists. It's a great country love song but there's nothing special can i ask I, you just yeah. one did did bob mercer choose that i think bob chose that didn't he i don't know but i you know bob mercer i i, I have i have him on my notes we are going to get, get to bob mercer get right 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 so i say to billy okay you have you've been made fun of the last 20 years because you've your mullet but you fucking have the cojones to write a love song <laughs> to the mullet? Dude, and I tell him, I'm like, dude, mullet is the first cousin to hockey hair. Yeah. Uh, I, I said, I got some friends around the NHL, you know, um, different places that I can have you do something. <clears throat> why don't we, why don't you come over tomorrow and we're going to shoot a music video for the mullet song? He's like, what? What are you talking about? YouTube was brand fucking you. I mean, honestly, again, here's another Forrest Gump moment where YouTube is right. in its infancy. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, there's no more barrier to entry. You're good. And I, I call my friend, Matt, who, who worked for me, who worked with me. I shouldn't say for me. Another, uh, another great kid, a fucking sweetheart, hardworking son of a bitch, cool kid. I'm like, hey, I, I know he shoots stuff. Come over. We're going to shoot this music video. Billy shows up blind, cold, no entourage, nobody, just Billy comes to my house. And I, I live, uh, you know, I live right on the line of Venice and Marina Del Rey, right at the Venice Pier. He's wearing a, a t-shirt that says like pro mullet. <laughs> right. And I think about it that night. I don't know what I'm going to do when he gets there, but I ran to a store, got a couple mullet wakes, Matt and Matt, and his friend, he bring he brings a friend of his, you know, and we start right at the Venice Pier. We walk a mile down Venice Boulevard, and we come back. That's it, and we shoot it as like kind of a rap video, where Billy is playing his guitar, and he's flanked by his mullet wearing posse guys. 
I'm one of the two mullet wearers. I was going to say, who was that? <laughs> and I'm holding, you know, you know, because it's kind of a rap video, you know, you got to have like, you know, the boombox blaring. Here I'm holding a pink Hello Kitty boombox <laughs> as we walk one mile down and then come back. And then, and then, you know, our friend Diane, who's living with us at the time, she is also in film school. So she has some access to gear. We, so Billy goes home. And Billy, he's going on tour like the next day or the day after. Now he puts me in contact with his brother, Mick. When you see Billy Ray Cyrus on a TV show playing that aw shucks, salt of the earth, just good nature guy, he's playing his brother, Mick. Like, like, like Mick, it, Mick, Mick is the guy that Billy portrays on screen all the time. Mick truly, aside from being a Minnesota Viking fan, everybody has their flaws. <laughs> I would gladly lay down in traffic for Mick. Nicest guy I've got to work with maybe ever in music. Straight shooter. His wife, uh, who's a big PR person in the country world, like a huge PR person in the country world. The two of them, I want to say power couple, but but Mick ain't a um, a ladder climbing stab somebody back. You know he he tore Manus Miley, and you know when she was young, and I mean for no other reason than he was going to shield her from the bullshit as long as he possibly could. You know what I mean? Let let her be a kid as long as she be could be a kid in that world. Anyways, yeah. so Billy comes, shoots a video, he goes, and then I reach out to Mick. I'm like. If you play this in concert, could you shoot it and send it to me? Send me whatever you have. So over the next couple of weeks, I get all these high eight tapes and Matt edits together this music video. And I bring it over to Billy's house and Billy just loses his shit. Just <laughs> absolute. And then he hands me this book. <laughs> it's a history of mullets. It's a, it's a fun little, like maybe 30 page book. He's the last page. And he's like the patron saint of mullets at it. And he's like, can we put this picture in the video? I'm like, motherfucker, why didn't you give me this to start with? Of course we're going to put this in. So the video faded. Dude, the, I put it up on YouTube. It has like, you know, again, not everybody knows what YouTube is. Hundreds of thousands of hits yeah. and in a matter of days. You know, Billy's daughter, who's now a big success, Noah Cyrus, she would not go to school in the morning unless he played the video for her for like a month. And, and so now I, you know, so at the same kind of time, you know, th this is happening. Um, you know, we end up, we, so I, uh, so now I send it out to the NHL and this is why you got to do the anthems. Cause now I didn't know about it, but I'm like, Hey, let me send it to, so I had a friend or a friend, a contact, for the Phoenix Coyotes, which is why you got to do the Phoenix Coyotes. So I send it to them. They fucking love it. And like, we want to do a mullet night. So I have Billy come and do a national anthem. And in between the first and second period, he, uh, and I think you had these guitars in your office. They were going to do a promotion. It never happened. You have these signed Billy Ray guitars. That's right. And, That's right. And so we do, we book, I book him to do it. We, you know, they fly us out there, pick us up, and it's just Billy and I. You know, it's, 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 it's Billy, Mick, and I. It's just Billy, Mick, and I. Like Billy's, Billy's right hand guy, his, his valet, his 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 go to guy, his muscle, you know, his brother, his everything. And, and we go out, and it's awesome. He sings the anthem, 
you know, love or hate his 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 songs that he puts out, whatever. I've now done over a hundred celebrity anthems in NASCAR, NFL, baseball, everywhere in between, second to none. And the reason his anthem is so fucking good is he believes it. Like like it 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 is it it is not a song to him. It literally comes from the heart and it, it's special. Yeah. Um so we do it, and then in between the first and second period, they lined they they went around the stadium and just started pulling people out of the crowd with mullets, lined them up on the red line, and <laughs> while the video's playing and cutting back and forth, and it's like the wacky morning DJ guy, you know. So here's Billy, and he picks the best mullet, hands the kid a signed guitar. You know, I will post these pictures. That's great. So yeah. then, you know, then what ends up happening? Um, Great American Country calls back and says, uh, our biggest rating day of the year is Thanksgiving. Would Billy want to do a Thanksgiving special? I'm like, well, tell me what about what, what's it going to be? He goes, it can be anything it wants. It can be two hours. It can be three hours. Because the video did so well, I'm like, yes, 100%, we will do the Thanksgiving special. Yeah. I, uh, then I call Billy and I say, hey, you're doing this you're going to do this special. <laughs> and, um, and so now, now we're in the thick of things. So, so I had so much fun doing that anthem. I didn't know what I was fucking doing. I just started blindly calling teams around the NFL saying, hey, do you want Billy Ray Cyrus to come do your anthem? You know, <laughs> so, some of them are national TV. You're singing in front of 100,000 people, 80,000 people. It's yeah. a fun weekend. You know, you're flying first class. They pick you up in a limo, all this shit. And I'll do a whole show one day going through the 20 I did with Billy Ray. Each one was better than the next. It was, it, you're not yeah. supposed to have that much fun doing this shit. Yeah. We're, but we're getting on a plane once and Billy's like, hey, what's going on with the Thanksgiving special? When are they sending a script? I call Great American Country when we land. I'm like, hey, you said we're going to shoot this early October. It's late September. What are we doing about our script? Oh, we're sorry about the confusion. Um, we thought you were writing the script. Oh, geez. <laughs> I didn't know that. Neither did I. Guess who wrote the script? <laughs> did you write it? Yeah, down? so I talked to Billy, and we're like, okay, well, we came up with this. We came up with this. We're, we'll make Thanksgiving dinner at his house. It will go sideways to order takeout type thing. But they told us we can do whatever we want. So uh -huh. Billy, Matt, and I ended up shooting three more videos off that album. <laughs> is that right? We just went. Saw them. I got to. I got to check that out. I never we knew. We just went and shot it. It was Turkey Day with Billy Ray, you know. And it's funny because just recently, Noah Cyrus is now blown up. I get a call from Noah Cyrus's album. We shot a music video, and one of the music videos was a love song from Billy to Miley about watching her grow up. And mm -hmm. so for the early footage of Miley, we used Noah and, oh, and Billy. <laughs> <That's wild. laughs> so here's Sony Records calling me a couple months ago saying, do you have that footage? Because we want to use that footage in a new video. I don't. I, I looked everywhere. It cost me a few hundred bucks to have somebody go through this storage and all this stuff back in LA. The camera guy thinks he has it, but just doesn't have the time to like go through you know, hundreds of hours of old tape in the uh, storage and see if we can find it. But, yeah. uh, but we did. So we ended up shooting. Uh, I got to meet, uh, I got to meet Billy's mom. So, you know, we flew to Nashville. I spent the week on Billy's ranch. Um, mm -hmm. There's a made for Netflix movie about my week on yeah. ranch <laughs> with crazy. Billy Ray. Just me and Billy, just me yeah. and Billy in this fucking mansion. And uh, 
and it, and then literally we have this weird we we fly in like on on we fly in oh fuck it's something like we fly in on a thursday night friday night thursday night we fly on a thursday night friday he does a national anthem mullet night yeah. with, with with the thrashers uh the nashville predators the nashville predators we get on a plane like somebody picks us up at like four in the morning and we fly to cleveland where he's doing a national anthem on sunday morning for cleveland brown uh, for the cleveland brown games we come back we shoot the thanksgiving special it was like a 15-hour shoot the next morning billy gets up because he's meeting miley in st louis to do the national anthem for game two of the world series but then Three days later, or two days later, he's meeting me in Houston, uh, Utah, to do a Utah Jazz. So in the span of like five days, I have him do an NHL, an NFL, a Major League Baseball, and a basketball. Just flying, and in between that, shoot this Thanksgiving special. Uh, the Thanksgiving, the end. It's three hours long. We showed all four videos that I produced for Billy Ray. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, another a fuck up that was great is Billy Ray and Miley. It's a first, I have footage the first time, the very first time Miley appears as Miley, not as Hannah Montana, oh, is wow. at a boys and girls club three song set at the Santa Monica Pier. Oh, wow. And it's just wow. Billy yeah. and Miley. There's no backing band. It's yeah. just them. They sing to a track. They yeah. sing a Miley song. Then they sing mullet together. And then they sing a song from Hannah Montana together. If there was one more nine-year-old on that pier, it would have <laughs> collapsed into the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> well, that was, the, that was the period of, uh, that's right, all the malls were having the, the child stars coming. It's Hannah Montana, you know. Yeah. So, so, but this is, this is a, this is a Disney-sponsored event, but she's, yeah, a, yeah. she's appearing as Miley for the first time. I call Disney. And, and and through and through Billy's connection, you know, I get to the people putting this event on, and I'm like, "Hey, I'm doing this project for Billy Ray. Can I shoot this footage? I won't use Miley. I won't use this. You know, whatever parameters you want. But I want this concert footage of Billy doing the song." Yeah. And they're like, "You can shoot the whole thing." I'm like, "Are you sure?" They're like, "Yeah. Let me send you an email. Let me give you the green light. Let me send you passes." They just send us everything. We go and shoot everything. You know, we just document the whole day. Two years later, I get a call, and and they wanted it's like they wanted to use that footage of Miley for something. They're like, "Oh, do you have this footage?" I'm like, "Yeah, I do." And then they're like, "Okay, can you send it to us?" I'm like, uh, "I actually paid about a thousand dollars because I had to hire the yeah. three camera guys and out of pocket. It cost me a thousand bucks." And they're like. Well, those are Disney stars under contract to Disney at a Disney event. So technically, you know, we have the right to that footage, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, let me see. And I'm bullshitting the guy. I'm like, well, what is your email address? Let me follow up. He gives me his email address. I, I'm sitting in my loft, Marina Del Rey, overlooking Hanano's in the pier, that, that place that Ellen and I yeah. live in, that sweet loft. And I, I, I send the guy the release that Disney had given me giving me the green light to shoot it and own the footage in perpetuity. <laughs> and I hear his computer ping. I'm like, oh, I just sent you an email. And the guy looks it up and he's like, you know, uh, you know, dear Mr. Lambert, blah, 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 blah. 
okay, we're going to call you back. Because <laughs> he re, I sent him the release, you know, and then, and, and then they like, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm like, dude, all you got to do is reimburse me for what it cost me out of pocket. Did they, and, did, did they eventually? No, Disney, uh, you don't, you might not know this, but Disney never has had any money ever. They, yeah. they, they, they're broke. They, they, they've been broke since 1926. Like, like they, you know, they, 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 they pay they, their stars like nothing, nothing. Yeah. So they yeah. wouldn't even pay for the, I'm like, dude, I paid for that footage. Just pay me what it cost me and you can have. It. So Mike, that's all you. And so flashing forward, you know, we did that. Um, so yeah, so I got to manage Billy Ray for almost a year. I, I was on 20 planes with him. Uh, I got to be friends with Billy, but I got to be great friends with Mick. And his awesome wife, um, you know, I got to meet his mom, who was just just great woman. Uh, his his dogs, like, you know, uh, it was fun. It was a fun ride. I'm still friends with him to this day. Uh, you mentioned Bob Mercer. Mercer, yeah. Tell, tell people who Bob Mercer is. Uh, he ran EMI. Oh God, he has such an amazing history. Um, he ran EMI. He's he's best known for signing. One of the one of the things he's best known for is signing the uh, Sex Pistols. Um, <laughs> he also had the caveat of, you know, well, I don't always sign acts the, whose music I, I, <laughs> you know, I totally appreciate or like. But but uh, because he started, he also signed Queen. He signed Kate Bush, Olivia Newton-John. Oh my God, so many things, and uh, you know, and uh, that was around. Um, it, I think. In 1977 is when uh, I, I guess the Sex Pistols had that that you know they cursed on television or whatever it was, and then uh, EMI dropped them at, right after that. Um, I think so, they, I, I don't think they were on EMI a month. Yeah. They signed their deal with EMI in front of Buckingham Palace, like there was a very famous thing that they signed their contract with EMI in front of Buckingham Palace. And this is after Malcolm McCleary pulled that boat stunt where he went yeah. up and down the Thames blasting <laughs> God Save the Queen because it was banned. They, they get arrested. EMI says, we're going to take these guys. It was after they got dropped from their first label. Yeah. Um, so Mike, Mike knows how much I live for the Sex Pistols and I live for Queen. And Mike took me maybe one-on-one -on -one lunches <laughs> with a fucking legend of legend bob mercer he liked you a lot by the way i i i of all the rock and roll stories i've heard firsthand bob mercer okay i live for the sex pistols live 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 for the sex pistols fuck that take that all off the table the thing that bob mercer did that deserves to be a movie that i've written a spec treatment for that i've tried to push and push and push this came we were in a little italian restaurant i think walking distance or pretty close to the capitol record building you're over at capitol at the time we yeah. go out to lunch with bob we shut the restaurant down it's it's an hour lunch that goes three four hours um i don't know how much food bob ate but uh <laughs> yeah the munchies uh, uh, <laughs> Let's 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 say driving home from that lunch was probably ill-advised. If it was the if this was the Uber era, I would have left my car there and Ubered home. Yeah. Um, you know, it, 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 it's like you know, it's like you know, uh, I'll pick a lane. Well, if they stayed in one place. I would. Um, you know, anyways, it's no, it's no secret that Bob Bob was on. <laughs> 
medicinal marijuana. You know, and, and we had a <laughs> there, was, there was some there was some there was some beverages involved, but and Bob Bob might have created Bob might have created the music video genre, and Bob Mercer tells me and Mike the most amazing story ever, ever, ever. Bohemian Rhapsody comes out. Nobody will play a seven-minute song. Nobody's going to fucking play a seven-minute song. Um, the all so, but the only way, but he wants to get them on top of the pops. He knows it will break. The only way you get on top of the pops if it's a number one song. So this wasn't the most original thing because people had done this before, but Bob hired a bunch of housewives to go to every record store around London and buy the album. It got no airplay, but yet was the number one song, the number one selling record in England. Well, Top of the Pop says, we want them on to play the song. <clears throat> you can't do that song live in a small studio with, 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 with Queen. You know what I mean? They're, they're not a small studio. Look, when we did... The police thing was Stuart Copeland. Stuart Copeland walked into my office, a PAL three-quarter from 1978, the old gray whistle test. And Sting's eyes, he has to wear sunglasses because his eyes got infected from the makeup because he had shot Dune the day before. Oh, God. And it's just the three of them and a a cable access studio. And here's Stuart Copeland playing a fucking four-piece drum set. A fucking four-piece, two-symbol drum set. And I say to Stuart, it's like, to see you play in a small, stripped-down set. He goes, no, that wasn't stripped down. That was my drum kit. But as we got bigger, the company kept sending me more and more drums. It's like, he goes, you look at the, at the footage from yeah. the tour we did for Ghost in the Machine. I only hit the same four drums. 99% of the beats were played on the same four drums yeah. and the same yeah. two cymbals. <clears throat> Anyways, but you can't you do that it. with Queen. You hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Queen can't play in a fucking cable access studio. <laughs> you, you know, and but the rule is the rule is you can only be on top. You can't you they'll only show a video on top of the pops if it's a number one song and you're not available because you're on tour. So yeah. Mercer, that fucking cheeky bastard, books a fictitious tour. Just <laughs> right. books, just books studios in uh, just books. Books venues in the U.S. No intention of showing up, sending deposits to to lock the studio to book this fictitious tour because what's going to happen when that song hits top of the pops? They're going to make that money back a hundred times over, and that's what really made Queen Queen. The Bohemian Rhapsody video saw the light, so that's what they shot the Bohemian Rhapsody video for to be played on top of the pop. And here's fucking. Bob Mercer and this little Italian restaurant telling me and you the story. And every two minutes, I have to pick my fucking jaw up off the ground. And I'm like, holy shit, the shit that yeah. I've heard. So, so Mike goes from Universal over to, over to Capitol. And, and so did Bob. That's, that's how that worked. Bob went over. I think he was there. He was there after uh, I'd gone over. Okay. And that's why you and I were with him yeah yeah but we had our i thought we four because a new door i thought we met with him before 
Oh no, uh, we we had met with him several times, but 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 the, but this particular lunch where he tells me, you know, how he fucked over top of the pops, the absolute charts, how he manipulated the system. It was like, holy fuck, is this just absolutely? And it's firsthand. It wasn't oh a guy at the label, somebody else. Like no, this is how we did it. This is how we booked it. I hired this guy to book the tour. We wrote the checks. We sent yeah. the checks to go to the venues just long enough and then they cancel a lot of the checks because they just needed top of the pop people to verify that they were going to be out of the country on a tour um but you take me to the capitol building the capitol building that everybody has seen in every movie uh you know our friend bill Fay blew it up in independence day uh (laughs) it is it is something that everybody should go see once it's this iconic building that that is supposed to look like a bunch of 45s on a record player. Um, what's funny about it is how tiny it is when you're inside there. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm in my lifetime. I've had a what's beautiful is I had an office in the Capitol Tower, and it had a, a pretty nice view. It was great view. Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, in my lifetime, I had that. I, I'm very appreciative of that. That was really sweet. Um, but yeah, navigating that building, navigating the floors and to know where people's offices were, <laughs> there was nothing definitive because it, it was, it was all pretty generic, you know, top, top to bottom, right? That studio. But, you know, of course you, <coughs> the studio is really in addition to the top Capitol tower, Oh, that studio, gorgeous, the best, one of the best studios ever, ever created, uh, was in that building also. I don't know. Floor. And that parking lot, Ed, most people don't know, maybe let's just turn them on yeah. to it. The parking yeah. lot, the parking, underneath the parking lot were all of the echo chambers. Right. Yeah. Where they did so. I don't know if it was you or our good friend Dennis who gave me, oh, fuck. Why am I blanking on the Beach Boy guy? Which Brian one? Wilson. Brian Wilson, okay. I shot Brian Wilson. Uh, I did a DVD. Uh, we shot Brian Wilson in the Capitol recording studio for for a dvd and it was one of those oh my god i can't believe i'm working with brian wilson like uh you know it was it was another company that was shooting the concert and i was shooting the shooting of the concert for the dvd bonus footage so i was doing the dvd i was producing the dvd i was producing the dvd and shooting the bonus content of the concert that was being shot by another production company and those guys were great but to shoot in the capitol building it's yeah. just and then it was shortly after he he had a stroke uh and it was one of those things he had no facial movement but he was just playing the shit out of everything and i remember getting notes that like his wife didn't like how he looked in this shot or that shot and it's like he has facial paralysis <laughs> it's like this from sh- and it was one of those notes that you got where you're looking around and you're trying to figure out how to tell this person it's like dude that's that you, it's a statue you know what i mean it's like uh, 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 man did that ever come out yeah that came out I didn't know. um uh i shot a couple other things for you guys but just being over in that office and then i ended up becoming friends with a couple other people through you and and the and the video department downstairs a a guy named uh, you know colin white who's still there today colin colin has my birthday oh really you guys have the same birthday everybody make make a fuss about colin's birthday and here i am it's like oh it's my birthday too (laughs) but colin's a great guy you know forever 
and I still, I, I still, I still, I, I text with him all the time. Uh, took up bagpipes a few years ago, actually, you know, absolute sweetheart, absolute, you know, and um, I think his boss was, if I, uh, was Danny Lockwood over at Capitol or was that Sony music? I'm thinking, uh, but, but through you, you know, I end up meeting, you know, Dennis, uh, I end up meeting Colin. I end up meeting, you know, you know, Danny Lockwood, um, your boss over there, the English woman, Jane. Yeah. She thought I was insane. Am I right? Or did she, she not? Did, uh, did I she... tell you what she said to me? She said, she, she calls me into her office and he goes, um, your, your buddy Jacques, is he okay? <laughs> is he okay? Because her first, you got to remember her first introduction to you was you bringing her a giant thing of like, you know, for the department, I guess. But you brought her like things you brought her things the first time you met oh, her. Uh, it was it was probably it was probably Snooky's cookies. Yeah. I yes. I never show look uh, um uh, Martin Kirzenbaum for somehow Martin Kirzenbaum over at Interscope Records like Jimmy Iovine's right-hand guy, another great guy. Somehow like one time I brought chocolate cake to something at his office, not for him, for somebody else. And he's like, I show up next time. And he's like, oh, where's the chocolate cake? For the next 10 years, I didn't fucking walk into yeah. Interscope Records without a sheet cake. Like, a, <laughs> and, and sometimes the note would say, here's your fucking cake. Funny. Yeah, yeah, that's you, really what that is. You know, yeah. you know, here's your, and it's like, I remember one time, it's like, because I have that relationship with some people, it's like, I, would, I, I, I have a meeting, he'd be running late. I'd be waiting in his office, and here's his assistant with a panic look on her face, like you can't sit at his desk with your feet up. I'm like, yeah, I can. <laughs> Anybody else, he's gonna walk in the office and throw out, you know. But he would sit been in the office, and he and he'd play along. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, Jack. And then he would go and sit on the smallest, most uncomfortable chair. <laughs> it's like, do you want me to sit here? But I would, I would. But Snooky's Cookies in Burbank, I kept that fucking company going. Like it, if it was somebody's birthday at, at the label, look, dude, I had no marketable skills at all. My job was to, my job was to get your ass to come check out the facility. If it was point three sixty, and I got you to come check out how awesome the facility was, I'd hook you up with Dave, who was a tech guru. And then they would do the heavy lifting. And then I would take the client out to lunch. And then I would take the client to a king game. And then I would go drinking on Third Street Promenade with the client, come back the next day with work. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's it. You know? Yeah, but you're super talent. Yeah, but you, you sell yourself short. Your super talents are you're a very, very good producer. And you're also a very good <laughs> salesperson. So that's a good combo, buddy. And, and, but, but, but again, it's... it's, it's the great ones had that. Hockey led to everything. Like hockey led to me meeting Jeff, getting the DVD, meeting to you, going down there. Um, through hockey, I met the guy who was head of Warner Brothers, who I'm still friends with this today. The, the, the guy was VP at Warner Brothers for Aramint, just the greatest guy, Dear McQuinn. He manages like Michael Bublé, who, by the way, is getting ready to do um, uh, um, oh oh fuck the 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 Barbara Fleet Suite. Uh, Sweeney Todd on Broadway. He's about to do Sweeney Todd on Broadway. Uh, I, you know, I, I've worked, I've worked literally fifty projects with Jeremy. Greatest guy, greatest guy. Anyway, no, but but back with you, Mike. Um, so so you know, through all that, through the Capitol Record stuff, yeah, I, I remember I would just bring stuff, and I did. I would never show up without a big basket. Look, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring fifty bucks of cookies, feed everybody in the department walk out of there with five grand worth of work. 
<laughs> yeah, but you know, you never and and with me, of course, you never ever had to had to do that. No, uh, but, but everybody benefits. Well, well, here's the method to the madness. I'm bringing cookies to the office that you can't possibly eat. They go, <laughs> <laughs> they go in the conference room. Somebody ends up saying, "Dude, there's ten pizzas here that this wingnut <laughs> just showed up with." So they call their friend down and legal down in video department. So now people are coming down two floors to have free pizza. Coming up two floors, it's like, "Oh, who do we think? Oh, that guy over there. What are you doing here? Oh, you know, Mike and I are working on this. Mike introduced me to Dennis, and Dennis and I are working on this, and now." I'm in the office. It's it's like it's like that. That's how you cast the web. King of schmooze. You did that's it. it. No, you're very excellent. I, you know, I love the, the projects that we worked on together. One of the, I, I, of course, we did the Olivia Newton Johns, those two video collections. We did uh, what with with, with uh, Jim Pearson. We did things like the Mamas and the Papas. Yep. And one of my favorites was the award-winning uh, Suzanne Vega. Yes, really win any awards, but you know, what <coughs> is the award-winning Suzanne Vega? Because I drove you guys, you guys, totally nuts with that thing. No, Mike, what you drove everybody nuts with, what you drove everybody nuts with, is your fucking Rupert Holmes box set. What the fuck? Oh my god, the man hours. People, just with video people. Oh Jesus Christ! And then I finally, I finally, I finally washed the stink off of that project that lasted two years. And then Guardians of the Galaxy come out and brings a pina colada song back into everybody's goddamn lexicon. Literally, you worked on that goddamn thing for two years. Uh, it finally comes out. It took a decade to wash the stink off me, and then and then <laughs> be a good young man. Now, now some of the other interesting. I love that damn thing. No, yeah, I know. Wait, I love that damn thing for a couple of different reasons. One is because we got everybody in the world who really everybody loves Rupert. First of all, everybody make everybody makes fun of after the Pina Colada song. He kind of lost a little, you know, cred there. But before that, he had an album called Widescreen which was on Epic, which was very popular because it had, it was popular, but nobody bought it. Uh, it's like WNEW, which was a, the major FM station in New York, used to play the crap out of it. And uh, and uh, uh, what's her name? Allison Steele, the Nightbird. Okay. You played it on her. Wait, hold, hold on, hold on. She's on the album. Look, I'm, I'm looking up my notes here. Oh, yes, that's right here. No one fucking cares. So now, now. Roseanne grabbed him because of that. Point is, no, yeah, I know. Now, to this day, I am a huge Rupert fan, and we became very good friends. So, Mike, I don't know. More about Rupert. No, Mike, I didn't. Even, I didn't even put this on my notes. I think I, I'm going to open you up to some PSD. I'm going to open myself up to some PSD, Mike. With the Rupert. No, Holmes. no, Mike. So let's see. So we covered Rupert Holmes. The award-winning Suzanne Vega. We covered Suzanne Vega. We covered the Capitol Building. We covered Universal Music. Covered Billy Ray. Covered Bob Mercer. Spider-Man. Spider Spider-Man. Um, anthems. Mike. Anthem. I, I I don't think I I think the I think the NDA has expired. Um I, uh-huh. I think I think you can talk a little freely. Uh, Mike, what what did you bring into our world? What what did you bring into our world that when I try to tell people this story, I don't think anybody believes me? Who are you writing a biography for that you brought me over to their house several times? Oh, the Joni Mitchell Project. Yeah, the Joni Mitchell Project. Uh, I don't... 
What's you want me to, I can dive it. When you were talking about the one o'clock call from Billy Ray Cyrus, one o'clock in the morning call. Yeah. I had been working on projects just for your listeners. I guess I could jump in right here like that in the same way where I, I was working on a couple of projects before that with Joni and then, and, and before, uh, before this particular call, this call this night, I get a call at about three in the morning and it's now I'm going to, this isn't really how Joni talks. I just think it's, I'm just doing this to be a goof, but uh, she called, you know, she calls at three in the morning and she goes, I, I pick up the phone and I'm like, hello. And she goes, how come Buffy St. Marie's universal soldier is always played on Pacifica, but they don't play any of my stuff. So I'm like, Joni? <laughs> so, you know, she, uh, it sounds like I'm making fun of her. I'm not making fun of her. It's just that that was the context. It was three in the morning. She calls me about that. That was the thing. She's a night owl. Now what most people don't know, she was a huge night owl. And uh, so she it was like, you know, what, uh, what uh, the one in the afternoon for her, you know? So anyway, she, uh, so we talked a little bit and then we got, uh, that was one of the couple of projects that we worked on together was I said, well, why don't we do, why don't we gather all of your, they don't know you for that. You know, they know you loosely for, you know, political stuff and political leanings. Why don't we gather all your political stuff, put it on a project. And it did end, and we, she liked that idea and eventually came out as the beginning of survival, um, which I love. It, it's all the rants, all the rants in one place. Uh, anyway, so the autobiography, so the, not the autobiography, the biography, uh, we had a very good relationship. We had a lot. We had a lot of fun. Um, you know, I could tell you dinners. No, dinner. I, you you took me to a couple dinners, and one yeah. dinner we go to pick her up, and it's Did one of the Ricky Gallo party. I don't remember, but yeah, probably. Okay. But I remember it was Richie at Gallo. So let's tell you, listen, Richie Gallo was the sales guy over at Universal, and he decided he would throw her at his house uh, a really nice party because he loved Joni. Everybody in the, in the apartment loved Joni, and it was Joni Mitchell. You know, let's have let's let's do something nice for her. Right. And and it was one of those things where uh, I, I look, mental illness is a real fucking thing. <laughs> and 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 there was moments where she she was one of those people who truly believed, truly in her heart of hearts believed. She believed it. And who's to say she's wrong? that the government sent helicopters out to shoot dumb rays just randomly out to people. And that's how they controlled the masses. A helicopter would go by and she would hide behind the couch to prevent getting hit with the rays that the helicopters would shoot out. And for one reason, I don't know, maybe for, I, I don't know why I don't know if we were going to do something. I was going to work on the project or what, but you're like, Oh, you have to meet Joni Mitchell. You bring me over. And it was one of those things where, I'm, get, I'm getting out of the car and she wanted to come out of the house and you had to for like a half hour convince her that, you know, and you come back to the car and you're like, we might have to call you a cab because she doesn't want to get in the car because she doesn't know you. And then she finally did. And then she's like, oh, your name is Jacques. And she's like, that's very Canadian. Do you play hockey? I'm like, I do. And then she starts telling, oh, I wish Biff was on this podcast. Um, she started having a relationship, I think. I, oh, with the goalie for the New York Rangers in the 70s. And she starts telling all these 1970s New York Rangers stories. And I'm trying to think of who the goalie if I if, if Biff said the name, I'd be like, yes, that's who she was talking about. Yeah. Oh, but one of the goalies. And she just, and then all of a sudden, now I'm in, you yeah. know, which means now she won't not talk to you. Right. And now when she goes into a party and she has real bad anxiety, I mean, the woman weighs 90 pounds soaking wet. 
but she would clutch onto your arm like she was crushing coal into a diamond, you know? And it was like, and, and somehow now all of a sudden we're at this party and I'm being directed to stand between her and who's ever coming up to her, you know, to kind of like. You the muscle? Uh, yes. To this day. And, 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 no, and you're there like, and you're talking and you're telling her, this is, this is who it is. This is, she works the label. This person does this. Like I'm the person that they have to go through before they can say hi to her, and you're the person on her other side telling her it's okay. This person but works she the label. Did you do that? So no, she, she did it. She just grabbed my arm. Oh, oh my God. hockey oh. player, big guy. I'm gonna use him. Oh, that's sweet. That's and, funny. And, and you're and you're whispering to her. No, no, no. It's fine. This person works. In, it's it's an A and R person over there. Oh no, no, no. That you know that 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 that's that. That's, you know, that's this assistant. Oh, no, this person's fine. Yeah. Uh, wouldn't eat food because she didn't know where the food came from, you know, out the thing. And then we stopped somewhere on the way back. But then, you know, I remember she's a, she's a chain smoker. Mike is the same with me. Mike can't be in the same sip coat with somebody smoking. You go out and you don't want to tell her in her own house. You're transcribing notes trying to do an autobiography. You are maybe 50 sessions deep. You're getting emphysema. You get this thing to blow <laughs> basically clean air into your face, yeah. which she thinks is some government device. Exactly now. I mean, I do block, buddy. There, a lot of that yeah. stuff. <laughs> but but I, she, she wasn't happy. I, I remember she just wasn't happy with my wearing that. And then I had to take it off because it was like, oh, this is upsetting her. I, I can't do this. So but, I had to take it off. But but yeah. yes, but 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 I mean, you've brought Bob Mercer to my life. You've brought, you know, you you brought Capitol Building into my life. You brought Billy Ray into my life. Ramon, we Mike brought his great <laughs> friend Ramon. Who well, before but, we before we get into Ramon because Ramon we is won't we won't we won't. But I'm just saying, all the people like I'm friends with you know with Ramon. The three of us are on a text chain. You know, uh, you know, I, I've become friends with Dennis over the years. Uh, I I I got to have one on one lunches with Bob Mercer half a dozen times. I got you know to manage. It's Billy Ray. All of this from from you know my buddy Mike. Thank goodness the almost brothers didn't break because our paths would have never crossed. Oh, you never know. <laughs> I would have probably. So, so so you you and I will post it. Released a box set about two years ago. You remastered everything. How many how many Microgonia solo albums was oh, on that collection? Uh, eight. Did. It was it was eight albums. No, 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 just four, but it felt like eight. <coughs> <laughs> I had a, I mean, it was four with bonus tracks. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm talking, you, you included all the B-side Japanese only released single <laughs> tracks that you, 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 yeah, you had on there. Yeah, yep. Uh, and also my buddy, my the Almost Brother, Steve Mosto, who, you know, who I had a career with uh, in, in uh, you know, we shouldn't have been in country music for about 10 minutes. Um, uh, we, uh, we, we're very close over the years and I co-wrote a lot of stuff with him. And um, I also, I was involved with, uh, I co-wrote a bunch of stuff with him for his, uh, he was working on a project with his sister, Joanne, um, and this drummer, Chris Bowman, and it was, they called themselves Bone People. And I, um, you know, I helped oversee a lot of that. But anyway, my point is that I, from my first, <laughs> oh God, how do I do this? The first album, I, the, the only albums that I care about that I feel are solid albums were the last four that I've ever done. Because I did a bunch of stuff before that, but that stuff was just mishmash and all over the place. This, this the last four, Minefield Diaries, uh, Invisible World, which I couldn't release at the time as Invisible World, but we'll get to that. And then Writer's Block, 
which I had. And then uh, my last one, which was Summerland. Uh, all of those come under the heading of California Chronicles because I did most of the recording in California and, and most of the bonus mixes and all of that. Is so Superman on writer's it, block? Is Superman on writer's block? Yes, oh. it is. See? I've listened. You did, you did. Thank you. So Superman, yeah, I do a cover of Superman. Writer's block, I actually had writer. That's a third of the of this quadrilogy. And the uh, I have, um, uh, I did Superman. I did uh, John Mayer's Neon. Uh, I did, a speaking of Joni, I did uh, her uh, Night Ride Home, yep. which I think is one of her most overlooked, wonderful uh, songs. So I did a medley of that and some kind of wonderful. Uh, it, it's one of my favorite recordings that I ever did. She, I played it for her at her house and she's, and I, I said, well, Johnny, I got to play this. So I played it for her and she goes, oh, I get it. You're a crooner. And I was like, okay, <laughs> okay I'm not playing or anything. Ever, you know, uh, so, <laughs> so, so you've had, you've had this solo career, something, another thing that, you know, is a lost art that maybe is coming back now that records, records are selling great again. Um, another, another and by the way, so are CDs. CDs have suddenly started picking up again. They're, they're coming back, uh, but but what what has become a lost art that maybe is coming back that is another, you know, another another pie that you had your fingers in is uh, liner note writing. You were a very successful liner note writer for a lot of amazing albums and projects. Thank you. Yeah, that came from a lot of it came from, of course, the connection because I was overseeing compilations. Um, I was over. I was producing compilations for various labels, first with Razor and Tie, uh, and then onward through. Well, actually, DCC Compact Classics, but I don't. I like to leave that period of my life <laughs> out of the mix. Uh, but Razor and Tie was the first place where I truly loved the bo my bosses, uh, Cliff Chenfeld and Craig uh, Balsam, who went on to Craig Balsam. Uh, you would love Craig's wife, who has she's like a, a major lawyer and major league in uh, in and the NFL. Um, and Craig now oversees and invests in and is a producer in Broadway musicals and Broadway plays that actually get the Tonys. That's um, fantastic. He's amazing. But anyway, he they, they launched, they allowed me to spread my wings and be a compilation producer over there. And I got the taste of that. And then while I was doing the compilations, it's like, well, you know, instead of hiring, spending money on uh, on liner note writers, I'm, I want to do this. And then they gave me permission to do that. So that's where that started. Yeah, you've done so many of those. Uh, we're going to start wrapping it up, but I do. I have to say, it's like, of all the amazing people that, you know, I've got to, to meet, and it's funny, it all stems through hockey at one point or another, um, but I did. I got to manage Billy Ray. I got to manage a household name artist. I got into the world of booking celebrities to do halftime shows and anthems, which ended up having me work with Cheap Trick a couple times. Uh, which had me working with train, which had me working with, you oh, know, right. that. Yeah. so many yeah. people all, all because of, you know, of that connection through you. I mean, you did the New Jersey devil thing, just going down the list again, the, the Bob Mercer, that story with Bohemian Rhapsody and, 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 and just pulling one over on top of the pops and okay. making a song that w making a song, number one, that had no radio play. You know, I mean, absolutely. But I also, you know, want to touch before I let you go. Um, many years ago, uh, my, you know, my, I, when I moved to Qatar around the time that, you know, we moved to Qatar, Mike moved to Iowa. Um, like life just, you know, took everybody in different directions. We remained close. Mike is what, Mike is what I think, uh, I think is, is, let me look at the notes here from 1934. Mike is what's known as a confirmed bachelor, but yet somehow well, you became part of the foster system. 
and the yeah. state of Iowa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, much I, to the surprise of everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Much to the surprise of me. And, I, Lisa, go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, Lisa Cohen, uh, I credit her to it. Lisa Cohen, I was in a relationship and I was, um, the relationship had ended and I was trying to help promote her son because he was an amazing guitarist, a really good songwriter. Everybody loved him. I, I took him around the music business and I, you know, it was like- I remember I this. Figured, you I took him to New York. Him. You took him to Cashman and West or, or to uh, Razor Tide. You took him to Tommy West. Tommy West. Yep. Uh, so anyway, but he was great. He was great. So anyway, the point is that you know, the relationship ended, uh, the, you know, the kid, the, the, that whole thing ended. And I was like, I realized during that whole thing, it's like, okay, I need a break from relationships. We're done with relationships for a while. And then my friend Lisa Cohen um, uh, said to me, well, have you thought about maybe the thing that you really like to do and that you seem to be, you know, to be gravitating towards, why don't you look into foster care? She was on the foster care review board for the county. That, that I lived in at the time. So I said, well, uh, kids, you know, full time. I don't know. And then she said, no, look into this. I did. And then I ended up, I have an old, uh, my, I mentioned cash. I mentioned, uh, not Cashman West. Uh, uh, I mentioned Craig, uh, Craig Bosman, uh, Cliff Chenfeld earlier from Razor and Tie, right? Yes. I, the, I had called them and I said, I've got to get out of Iowa. This is driving me crazy. I, I'm losing my mind, whatever. I had already what happened was I took courses to become the, the foster care, a foster care parent. They introduced me to kids that were so challenged that I just knew there was nothing I was going to be able to do for them other than warehouse them. And I wasn't willing to do that. You know, that isn't what I was looking for out of life. So what I did was I called uh, uh, Cliff and Craig and I said, you know, what do you, what do you think? You got anything in New York? So Cliff had a kid, uh, has a kid who was really great, talented in New York. And he said, yeah, why don't you come back and, you know, help my kid with songwriting and, and, and all that. And, and uh, I booked, I, I, uh, I grabbed a house in uh, Greenpoint, uh, New York. Um, I was, I had the deposit down on the, on the, it was an apartment. I had everything ready to go. Uh, uh, U-Haul, boxes, bubble wrap, the whole, the whole deal. So psyched, ready to get out, get the hell out of Iowa. And then I get a call from the foster care people and they say, you got to meet this kid. And I'm like, uh, no, you know, I'm moving in a couple of weeks, literally two weeks away. I'm moving to Brooklyn. So, uh, they, they go, no, no, really, you have to meet this kid. And I said, Ugh. You know, if I meet him, I don't want to get his to get his hopes up. I don't want him to get his hopes up because he's, you know, I'm. And I said, guaranteed, you will like this kid. And I'm like, okay, all right. So I went and I'm and they introduced me to Brandon, uh, and uh, Brandon was adorable. He was amazing. He was a great kid. He'd only had, you know, he hadn't gone through the system for very long, although he'd had a very traumatized, troubled childhood because of his history, uh, because of the people, adults in his life that just were horrible to him. So anyway, I, I spent the weekend with this kid. They were going to put him into this. They were going to put him in. Anyway, they were going to put him into this place that had kids that uh, they were like murderers where they put kids a shelter where, where they put kids that that were like, you know, beyond. And there's this sweet little kid with with like, you know, a Superman book under his arm, by the way. <laughs> Superman yet again. It's, it's this theme here. So I I uh, I I couldn't let him go to that. So I said, OK, how about this? They made him stay there one night. And then I said, let me take him for the weekend. So I did. It was well, long weekend, Thursday through Sunday. And then at the end of that, I said, can he stay? He's a great kid. And I called Cliff and I said, Cliff, let's let's take a pass on this for now. I said, keep me in the loop, but but let's take a pass on this for now. I have to help this kid. And then Brandon, I ended up eventually six months later, I ended up adopting him. He was an amazing kid. Okay. So you adopt, you end up, you end up adopting Brandon, who's gone on to be a absolute productive member of society 
great job, you know, you know, has a significant other that has, you know, you're going through that thing that so many parents do. It's like, oh, I raised this kid right to be strong and independent and and be on his own. And now he's on his own in another state with somebody else (laughs) type thing. But you screwed up and you did such a great job that the state turned around and said, hey, we want you to. We want you to do. We want you to do more. You know, it's like one of those that's things. Like, that's why I won't change a light bulb in the house because if my management finds out I can actually fix things, I have to do it all the time. So I, you know, mm-hmm. but you you didn't learn that lesson. So so now you 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 were you were they came back to you and said, hey, we we need we'd like you to do more, and and so so right. what, what what has happened since then? Well, I I spent I first I mentored this kid Skyler. And, uh, and then he became my foster child and, you know, he is so smart. It's ridiculous. It's, he's so smart. He's got a personality that is just over the, over the top. He's like, you, there's no off switch. Um, and he, uh, he's pretty smart. I, I mean, in school too, he, he's, uh, you know, he had, he had a lot, he had a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of challenges in his early life and, uh, he's dealing with it. Uh, and as best he can. And, and I, I just, I love this kid. I love both my kids. Well, uh, and it's I'm going to eventually adopt, I'm going to eventually adopt Skylar, you know, if the opportunity, um, you know, is available. You know, cause that's something that Mike and I have talked through together. Our youngest is very much, you know, it sounds, sounds like has some of the same challenges that Skylar does. Uh, one of the problems is he's way too smart. Just, yeah. just, just yeah. the the world moves too slow for him. Get like bored easily, yeah. Like yeah. you know, my 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 little guy is constantly waiting for everybody to catch up to him. Um, yeah. Does not have the ability to turn the brain off. I mean, severe ADHD, but it is. I mean, there there's just these challenges. But at the other on the other hand, it's like, yeah, that's who he is, and he's awesome. You know what I mean? And it's that's like, right. you know, you no, know, it, it's like it's getting the world to understand that it's like, yeah. He, he he's not he's he's not um neurotypical but that you know like anything else like like a mutant from the x-men it's like yeah but but these these these, cha- these things that are seen as challenges are also gifts and also opportunities to yeah. to, to to do certain things but, it's, but the yeah. world doesn't see that sometimes you yeah. know you know i mean and i oh, look i get oh. you've got 30 kids in a fucking classroom and it's 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 hard yeah. if one or two of them just doesn't fit in the round hole and it's like you know and then luckily luckily we live in a state that um we, we've gotten the mental health help that we needed is er- early on um that we've gotten ieps to help man and then when things go off the track you know the fact that you know our little guy has two pit bull for parents who are like yeah you know you know yeah. no this isn't a, this is not a behavioral issue. This is a medical issue that, that, that manifests as a behavioral issue. And we're going to treat it like a medical issue first. And, and, and some people don't get that. And it's like, you and I have had these conversations and it's like everything that you've told me about Skylar, it's like, Oh yes, he's describing, you know, my youngest one. And it's just, it, it's well, tough. I, I, I can't believe the amount I've learned from the trauma, Brandon, I did I, not so much. Brandon, because he had everything very, he was just very pointed with everything that he wanted to do. He was always, I never had to worry. My, in other words, I never had to worry about Brandon. He's going to have to deal with some stuff eventually, uh, like we all do. With Skyler, uh, I he educated me because the the traumas that he went through as a child, 
apparently there are triggers and there's all, I, I learned about triggers. Right. I learned about stuff that I had gone through in my childhood. Stuff just keeps coming up. I mean, I'm not going to share, but <laughs> coming up, yeah, it would be boring anyway. But but the uh, but the the point is that he has. We have grown together because I have learned, just as they, just as people like the foster care system. Let's say nothing against the foster care system; they're doing their best. But on the other hand, they are always trying to make the the square peg fit in the round hole. Always right. because they can't because they can't they don't have enough resources they don't no. have hot shelters or etc shelters the whole deal with shelters it just drives me crazy but yeah but the point is that he has helped me grow because I never knew some of this stuff but I never thought of it I never had the context of thinking of right. some of this stuff in my life or in his life the way I do now and it's so forgiving don't you feel don't you feel like you you because of the stuff your kid is going through it's like you can almost. I don't want to say forgive yourself. It isn't about that, but it's understanding. That's the, the word. Well, better word. Right. You know, and, and I, I was a very challenging kid growing up. Uh, everybody who's ever lived with me will tell you I'm a very challenging adult. But, but I, no, I've learned them. And that's, you know, and some of the stuff that I learned, that, you know, because growing up with a single parent, not knowing, you know, again, it's just a different world. People didn't know about certain things. And, they just, and that's why, you know, I, I've, I've, I've been able to learn, like you're saying, about myself over the last few years where I'm like, oh, I need to handle these things differently. Okay, I'm reacting like this, but it is. So everything that you've told me about Skylar, it's like, it's one of those things. It's like, you know, you know, all, 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 all the pieces of the puzzle are on the table and it's just helping him fit them together to, to and I don't want to say like to fit into society because I don't want my little guy to fit into society. I want society to fit into him you know what i mean to like i don't want to bend his will it's like are these things annoying are these things tough to deal with but at the same time the 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 brilliance that comes out of him sometimes the humor that comes out of him sometimes because <laughs> well, he, sees, he has no he has no option <laughs> oh just because he sees things so differently you know what i mean and 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 and, and it's funny and it's like you know and and, and because he's in a better place with an IP and, and we've worked really hard with the school, but there's, there's one of those things where, you know, there's nothing, you know, adults hate wrong than being corrected by a child, except when the child's right, then they really hate it. You know? And when he's been like, no, you know, you know, what, you know, one plus, you know, two equals three and you're saying it's four, you know, type thing. So, you know, so Skylar has a lot of the same challenges and, and, and some of those challenges is on his end. And some of the challenges is the people around him and the mental health profession and, 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 you know, need, need to understand that they need to do it differently, you yeah. know? Um, well, he loves to make videos. And, and the thing is, it's like, he has a creative, he's an art, he loves to, he, he's an artist. He, he loves to do things with art. So it's that side of the brain that he's, uh, that, that will be his super uh, power when he eventually, you know, gets rid of all the hormonal stuff and gets rid of all the, all the challenging stuff. He, he's going to be, I, I mean, I, I see the same thing for him. He's just going to be, when he's let loose, you know, on the world, I'll bet you he can do some really great stuff eventually. I, I just like, it's just one of those things like state by state, how, yeah. how, how Massachusetts and how California deal with the social safety net and mental health issues and yeah. IEPs and stuff like that. Well, not, yeah. you know, from town to town, it's, it's different, but no, Mike, you, you've, you know, I'm going to wrap this up because I think this might be on record. It's the longest podcast ever. But again, I mean, I, I, I mean, 
you know, the friendship that I've had with you that has opened up doors. Because when people are like, wait a minute, because it's been 10 years. Oh, God, it's 15, you know, because my oldest guy was just being born around the time I'm, I'm really in the, yeah. in, the, in the weeds with Billy. So it's over 15 years ago. But yeah, the fact that, the fact that, you know, you know, my little guys didn't know him at the time. And, and it's like, and he wasn't in their radar, you know, but then Old Town Road comes out. And, and I'm like, yeah, that's the guy I've been telling you. Like, that's the guy that, I've, you know, all this stuff with. But again, you know, the Bob Mercer, the Capitol Records, the, the bringing people like Ramon into my world. And, and, and you know, the, the stories about Joni Mitchell that I have that, again, nobody believes, you know, the tinfoil hat stuff, you know. And, but, and, and, and Bob yeah. David Davidson. Davidson, I think that's the name of the goalie from the New York Rangers. She had, you know, a thing within the 70s. But yeah, as soon as she was comfortable being in the car, finds out I'm a hockey player, instantly associated, oh, uh, okay, I'm going to this party I don't want to go to. I have anxiety, but I'm going to use this hockey player. I'm going to use Mike to, to, to be the filter system to tell me who's coming over and say hi to me and flown over me. And if I don't feel comfortable, you know, this guy with bad teeth and, you know, hair and obviously knows it's been busted is going to stand in front of me. Uh, now, but you we, know what? The, the one thing, the one thing uh, on my, uh, so my last album, Summerland, I wrote a song called Blue about our time together. And um, I mean, we were friends. I was there a lot of nights. Uh, I mean, I could go on and on, um, on and on and on. And especially during when, you know, I was doing the, the biography with her, the autobiography with her. But the other, but that ended, I, we should, we should make clear that that ended where she, um, she decided not to do it. She decided, like, after a lot of recording and stuff, she decided she wanted to go to, it was that time of year when she goes uh, to uh, her cabin in, in Canada and does artwork. So right. she took a break and then from that break, she couldn't get back into the book. And then it was sort of became a less important kind of thing. And then she's tried to pick it up, I think, over the years, a couple of times, a couple of times more. But it never is at the I don't think I'm, we may never see an autobiography of Joni Mitchell. I hope we do someday. Well, no, I, I mean, you know, there will be a time when you might have the opportunity to write a biography of her because you, you have all the stories in the mind. But Mike, I'm sorry, taking over 300 episodes to get you on the podcast. Oh no! I'm happy to be here. I love your. I love the show. You guys are like pals. It's like sitting around with with pals. It's well, really fun to listen to. And, and now I apologize. You know, you know the number one thing that you know Biff and Joe do very well is kind of keep me in check. But but there, <laughs> but there were there 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 were no guardrails up today. You know, I, I I wrote out the things I wanted to talk about, but I, I I couldn't help but you know going off the rails here and there. But no, I mean, you know, it, it's funny because. I've gotten rid of almost everything over the years. I've really become a minimalist, but now and then I'll like the one or two bins I still have out in the shed. I'll be like, I'll pick it up. I'm like, Oh, and then you'll see on the credits. It's like, there's me and Mike, you know what I mean? Or, 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 or you know, one of the, one of our other friends, like Dennis or Jeff that, you know, have crossed paths with it. And it's like, yeah, no, it's like, well over, well over 200 projects, you know, hopefully, hopefully you still have the award-winning Suzanne Vega. Uh, it's, 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 that's mounted on the wall, right? You know, you know, it, it, you know, it, 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 it's right next to you know, you know, you know, the the the, the framed writer's block, you know, um, you know, you know, no, but 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 the plaque I made you for, okay, yeah, but 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 it's but but like I said, it's like it's the first time you come into point three sixty, you know, with Jeff instantly you know we get to talking went out to lunch and it, it, it's been it's been a hell of a ride since you know i haven't seen you physically in a while 
Um, there's, there's, there's talks of another cross country drive with, you know, my boys and I this summer, um, a lot yeah. of different pieces are on the table. We might be in Chicago for yeah. a little bit for management's work. We don't know, but that's yeah, half hours away. You, you, you better. Call how, how far? Three and a half. Oh, that's not, okay. Yeah. No, without, is there a six flags near you? Cause we usually go, we usually plot our course because our six flag passes work everywhere. I think it's near, <laughs> I think it might be near Kansas city. I don't really know the six flags thing. Brandon never liked it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, no, but no, we, we will definitely. And at the same time, like in, you know, my office here, we, we just, we just for the last 10 days had, you, you remember our great friend Renetsky. She was just here for 10 days. I mean, you know, yeah. the great thing about, you know, living where we do, you know, for, for, for what we, what we rented, <laughs> the last place that we lived in Playa del Rey, when we left there, it was $2,200 a month for that 840 square foot mansion, that, that two bedroom, one bathroom, tiny thing. But we were five houses from the sand. Like yeah. literally I we didn't, that place. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't need, like we, like management and I lived at three places together, you know, in LA before we moved it, one in Venice, one in Marina del Rey and one in Playa del Rey. We never needed one of those noise machines at night. Cause we've always lived close enough to the water. It's just like open the goddamn window. Why, why, why have a wave machine when we have the actual waves right there? That, that apartment now, because we're still friends with the woman who lives in the other unit in the duplex, um, $3,800. $3,800 for 800 and, you know, a two bedroom, 840 square feet. So for half of that, you know, that's a tough thing when we talk about moving back. For half of that, we have a four bedroom, two and a half acres, in ground pool, and a town that, you know, has been nothing but wonderful you know as far as like the different we love it we absolutely love it here um we you know we miss home we miss la but my point is there's a there's always a room at the end for you baby jesus you, know, you, you don't have to sleep out there in the barn with all the livestock you know you you, you know there's, there's always room there's there's room for you and skylar you know if brandon and, and and his patrol ever do like hey let's go check out the east coast friend or a friend it's like here's a key here's your room you enjoy uh hopefully i will see you this Thank summer you. we uh, may take you up on that i have to take skylar someplace i have to edu i took brandon everywhere I, I, no. I haven't taken Skylar anywhere yet. I met you. You, I would. I had moved out of LA, but for some reason, I was in town for a day, and we met at a Denny's with Brandon. I think that's a one right. time. That's like, right. like, 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 I'm, I'm like, okay, I. That was in California. That was in right. California. That was in California. That was, when, that was when he had an internship with, uh, with, a, with a guy with a medical device company, and they had him building an R two D two. Oh, <laughs> it's like what? The guy's like, yeah, this guy's smart enough. He could do this. And he, I mean, they showed him how, of course, but it's like, it was an amazing that that's why that kid, I have, I have no worries. Uh, he makes more money than I do. So, you know, and, he, and he's, and he's happier. He's actually very, very content. And I'm so glad I looked into figuring out how to have a family of my own because well, I, I, you know, I was like relying I said, on other people and their families. Like I, I said, I, you've, 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 them. it was you, awful. I, I, like I said, you you did such a you did such you, you screwed up and did such a good job that you created this kid who could move away and be independent and all that stuff, and then the state turns around and says, "Okay, here's another one," because you know you did so great. But but Mike, right, Mike, this was absolutely great. Um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna text you and ask you to post certain things 
that we talked about, like, you know, if you can find that Peter, Peter stays, uh, Spidey goes, um, I have a, I have a picture of it. I do picture of it. You know, that, that, that's great. Maybe it, it, the song even might be on YouTube somewhere. That, that'd be absolutely yeah, great. And so is, so is the, uh, by the way, <coughs> my Atari pole position. Hey, yes, you look like a real jerk. Well, I am a corporate executive. He starts exciting things from happening. So what you doing? Well, Muffy, Buffy, Biff Jr. and I are going on our Sunday drive. Oh, no, you're not. You're going to play pole position. From the, I sang on it. I didn't write it, but I sang on it in the uh, in 1984. Wait, wait, wait! Now Joe will be regretting not being here. What did you sing on? Uh, pole position. It was a classic pole position commercial, Atari pole position, uh, with the with the family on the yeah. Race. It was Muffy Buffy Biff Jr. and it was that commercial. I oh sang my it. goodness! Okay, you're gonna have to find that and post it if we can find the devil's thing. You know, I will post a link to the I Want My Mullet Back Mullet uh, uh, video. Dude, yeah. that, that stupid song, it, that out-of-pocket cost me about 250 bucks. You know, for, for just beer and pizza for the guys. Um, and it led to a three-hour Thanksgiving special. It led to me doing 100 anthems. It led to, you know, we actually shot two pilots out of that. I ended up shooting a pilot for CMT with Billy. We went to do, we, we spent a weekend at the Bristol racetrack in, um, and, oh, what is it? It's, 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 it's not in North Carolina, wherever, wherever the Bristol racetrack is. Um, uh, yeah, you know, I can post a link to that. I don't think I'm supposed to, but I think the NDA has expired since then from NASCAR. That I'll, what are you going to sue me for? What you're going to get my Batman cutout? You know, <laughs> you know, Joe. Joe just gave Joe just gave me the figurines from the sabotage video. It's like you're going to sue me for those motherfuckers. Come and get them, prying for my cold dead hands. But no, Mike, our 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 ride together ha has been absolutely great. Uh, it's taken a little bit of a pause, but I'm hoping to cause more trouble. You know, going forward. Um, it's, it's amazing the stuff that you've done in your career as an artist, that you've done in your career as an A&R guy, as a producer, and, a, and as a foster dad. So uh, the, the world's a better place because, you know, the son of Antilio is, uh, is still walking among us. <laughs> yeah, he's still, still for the moment. He's a little old now. It's very hard. It's like I look in the mirror and I'm like, I'm looking in the mirror and I'm like, wait a minute, when did I become one of those old people? You know, it's, like, it's a very it's a different kind of thing. But on the other hand, because I still have like, you know, I still, I'm still like, you know, 24 or whatever the heck in my mind. So um, it's like, it's been a grind. And because of people, by the way, because of you, my friendship with you, I kept me young. And, and, and I had a lot of fun in California based on our friendship. We had a lot of good times. We had a, that was, you were my best friend in California, but absolutely. Um, 
And it was just, I'm really glad you, I'm glad, and you know, and you, you're giving me a lot of credit. Please don't give me all the credit. Don't give me credit like that. You are the one that pulled all of this off. You're the one that had the had the talent. You're the one that has the ability to connect with people on a level that's, that's you just disarm them instantly. You're really, really good at just, that. I mean, just in a good way, you disarm them and you don't take advantage of them. You actually, you, you, you become friends with them. It isn't like you're just doing work with someone. You, they're in your family after that point. Yeah, all stems, all stems from Snooky's cookies. It all stems from. I'm working here for the Snookies. <laughs> I, I gotta see if I can make them start. Mike, I'm gonna let you go. Enjoy the what, whatever you have planned the rest of this afternoon in Iowa. Um, and uh, and no, seriously, you're missed and you're the best. And uh, we'll go from there. Thank you, buddy. Thanks for having me on. You're riding someone else's dreams. Are you sick of endless clouds and faces in the tired scenery? Well, joyous comes at you with a wink, and life will change before you blink. The future's always flying much faster than you think. Miles of uncertain, good intentions, no way to plan. As you see through all those bloodshot lies, what did that ticket say? Did it tell you there were all?